you know. Worship. Worship's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? By the way, um, when we get to heaven, Kate and Luke, you got spots on my right and my left. All right. We're going to rock it out in heaven because I sing like you do. And that's awesome. Top of your lungs. Right. Joyful noise. Now, worship is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? We we go to uh, how many of you have been to a, a Lions game at Ford Field or a Pistons game at the Palace uh, or a Red Wings game, maybe, or a Tiger game. And uh, and the players like run out onto the field. And, and what do the fans do? You know, we stand up, we're raising our hands, we're screaming and hollering and yelling for them. Or uh, when they make a good play, I know it's few and far between at Ford Field, but we still we still get up and we cheer, right? And we're and we see all these fans around us that are really worshiping. You know what's what's happening? They're like lifting it up and, and praising it, right? And and I know sometimes it's just you know I'm really just applauding a good play or you know whatever. But you got to admit there are some people sitting around you that. They're worshiping that, right? I mean, they're they're fully invested in it. Tears coming and all kinds of things when things don't go their way. Uh, and we see we see that we see that in concerts. Um, for those of us that are older, you may have seen video clips of. I know the Beatles were really before my time, but like the Beatles or Elvis or more recently maybe Justin Bieber. I'm not really into that whole thing, but you know you see the late the girls fainting as they're on stage and they're just lifting their hands up and they're worshiping and and just praising this person. They can't believe that they get to be this close and they just oh right. And we we see that as they're worshiping that person, right? And in the church, we have uh, we we have worship obviously taking place as well, and it looks different in different places. You know, we have some uh, churches that you know we call them kind of holy rolling churches, and um, there's uh, people coming in and hands flying and people flopping around the ground and that kind of thing. And um, what they would say is Holy Spirit led or filled places, and we see that kind of worship taking place. Um, and then we kind of come to our brotherhood, and we're you know we're a little more conservative. I get it. And uh, and Paul says to be orderly in our worship. And so we have to be careful not to be disruptive or disorderly. Um, but sometimes, you know, I, I really feel like when I'm singing about God's grace and his love and his mercy that I, I really just want to I want to lift my hands up to heaven. And uh, honestly, um, I, in our churches, not just this one, I start to look around and say, OK, I wonder if there's any visitors here. You know, if any visitors walk in and say, oh, boy, we got one of the preachers, the hand raiser going on over there. Right. Um, or what will other people say if I if I just raise my hands? But that's not the point of what everybody else thinks around me. But how is the outpouring of God in my life, the Holy Spirit living inside of me when I come together to worship and to sing songs about God's mercy and his grace? And when we come around to the Lord's table and we open up his word together, how is it moving within my body, moving within my soul so that when it comes to a time of worship and praise that I can honestly just lift my hands to heaven and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And I just. Love those moments when I'm driving in my car and a song comes along that I can sing to and I can just sing into my top of my lungs and and flap my arms around or do whatever I want. Or if I'm uh, in my office or out on a mountain with my iPhone somewhere and just it just expressing myself to God in such a, a joy that it is to be able to just have that filling up my soul and welling up that I can just explode with worship and praise to an awesome and mighty God. And I often think, and I wonder if you've done this as well, thought about what's your praise, what's your posture going to look like when it comes to heaven? What's our posture of worship, our worship posture? What's it going to look like when we 
when we gather around the throne of God? Are we going to be, you know, my lighthouse, my lighthouse. Kate won't be. Kate will be pushing it out, right? Right? (laughs) Or am I just going to be throwing myself open to God and saying, Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. And I think it's the same kind of feeling that the people had in Mark chapter 11 when Jesus, in the second part of his exit strategy, was entering into Jerusalem. And in Mark chapter 11, as we look in at Mark chapter 11, verse 1, we see that Jesus is traveling with his companions, the disciples. We know that the twelve are there. We assume it very greatly for obvious reasons. And we're guessing that all kinds of other people are following with him as well as he enters Jerusalem. Because he's been teaching and people are following him and he's been healing and people are following him and they're all coming up for the Passover. And so probably even some people that may not have even been connected with Jesus are still traveling this way, up this path, up this road to Jerusalem. And let's see what the people do when it comes to praising and worshiping Jesus as he enters Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany... So again, we have this picture of Jesus and all of his followers, all of his disciples, be it the twelve plus others that have been listening to his teaching and want to draw closer to him are coming with him. And they go to these two places, Bethpage, which you won't probably be able to find on a map. They just guess where it is. Beth, whenever you see the word Beth, it means house of. And this is house of figs. Okay. Kind of significant as we go along in our passage, but uh, Bethpage is house of figs and Bethany, meaning house of. And they really don't know. Some have called it desperation, house of depression. Um, They really don't not quite sure what Bethany means. But we know that Bethany is a pretty famous place. What are some things that happened at Bethany? Jesus was anointed with oil, right? Um, Who lived in Bethany? Lazarus. Mary and Martha, right? This is kind of a, a place where Jesus would go. He was familiar with the area. And so Bethany um, sits on the side of the Mount of Olives. And they say that on the Mount of, Olives, Mount of Olives, if you go to the top, you could look over and see all of Jerusalem just nicely laid out and spread out. And so Jesus is traveling through there and goes through these towns, the house of figs and the house of maybe desperation or, or desolation or depression uh, at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples. It doesn't say which two. It doesn't even say that it was two of the twelve. So it could have been two random disciples that have been following with Jesus. But he sent he said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away, found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Now, when we read this passage of scripture, you can think a couple of things. First is Jesus using some kind of Jedi mind trick. Go into town, you will. Find a colt, you will. Untie it, you will. Bring it to me. When people ask you, tell them the Lord wants it, right? Um, and we can think that, well, this is Jesus, it's God. He can, he can cause them to do something that they're not ready to do. But I think when we look at the passage of Scripture and consider it's Bethany, Bethpage, Jerusalem, Jesus knows this area. He has friends there. He probably had already set it up. One of his disciples may have been the owner of those colts. And he said, listen, go in and um, uh, go ahead and get the colt. If they ask you, what are you doing? Saying, and some people say that the Lord needs it. Actually means the owner of the 
colt needs it. Okay, the, the Greek word that they use there. So it may have been that the owners are following Jesus and said, listen, I got a colt. It's never been sat on before. You've been talking about prophecy and the king coming in and you're the king. So why don't you send a couple of your guys in? I'll have my guys set the colt there. And when they go to get it, just say, listen, the owner said it's okay. Right. That makes more sense because we know that Jesus is fully man. That he's veiled, if you will, his godly quality some, to some extent so that he can go to the cross. And so we don't really see that he's using these special mind tricks to say, go and we'll manipulate this. But he's saying, I'm from this area. There's going to be a cult there. I've got it all arranged. I need you two to go in, get the cult. Anybody ask you about it, say, the Lord needs it. The owner needs it. The master needs it. They'll say, okay, and bring it back to us. Okay, so that's the scene that we have. That he's sending his disciples in to get this cult. So they went in and found the colt. They brought it back to him. Right? Um, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And we're in chapter, verse 7. And he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who were, went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And the first thing that we see in our passage is that the king is welcomed. The king is welcomed into Jerusalem. The king is welcomed in by his disciples and the people of Jerusalem welcoming Jesus in as he's riding on this colt and putting branches down. Now, what does the word Hosanna mean? It means save, please. Right. You know what the Greek word for Hosanna is? Hosanna. Right. We didn't have an English word for it. And so they actually took the Greek word and sounded it out and matched the English letters with it and said, OK, it spells Hosanna. You know what the Hebrew word is for so Hosanna? You guessed it. Hosanna. Right. They did the same thing with the Greek. They said, well, it sounds like this. Let's put these Greek letters together and it sounds like this. And so the word for it is Hosanna. And it means save, please. That was the original meaning of it. And if you go to um, Psalm 118:26, it'll say, save me, save me. And it's that word Hosanna. And immediately following is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. John Piper describes it like this. He said, it's like if you're standing on a a diving board and you don't know how to swim and someone comes and pushes you off into the deep end and you bob up and you say, save me, save me. That's Hosanna. But immediately following is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so over time, that has evolved from meaning save me, save me to salvation, salvation. Salvation has come. Salvation is here. And so Piper says it then has evolved to more like um, you're pushed off. You don't know how to swim. You come up and the lifeguard is jumping right in and you say, blessed is he who comes uh, to save me. Right. And so as they're laying down their palm branches, as Jesus is riding in on this colt, we have this visual of all these people, the disciples, um, the twelve, as well as the other disciples following. And as they're going into Jerusalem, other people are probably joining in because this was not unusual when someone returned from a, a conquest or someone returned from a pilgrimage to have them laying down branches. And in Jesus, as, as he is coming in, as was prophesied, he's riding on a colt that's never been ridden on before. They're laying down the branches and they're saying salvation is here. Salvation has come. Blessed the son of David is come to rescue us. Salvation is here. Now, uh, when's the last recorded time that we know of Jesus riding on a donkey? Inside his mother's womb, right? And so he enters the scene, if you will. He's riding with his mother into 
Bethlehem where he's going to be born. And now we have that Jesus is riding to his death uh, on a donkey as well, on a mule. And so he's coming into town and we see that the king is is welcomed in. The king is welcomed into this town. And the next part of the exit strategy that Jesus has from um, coming on the scene and, and preaching repent for the kingdom of God is here and doing all the teaching and showing compassion and love and mercy and teaching them how to obey those commands. Um, he's now after he has uh, shined a light on what it means to uh, see light and know that light comes into a dark place, as we talked about last week, and the flashlight that is Jesus that shows us the path that we need to take. Now we have the entrance of the king. And realizing that the king must come into Jerusalem, the king must come into town for his exit strategy to take place. And so we know the king is welcomed. We go on in our passage of scripture. Hosanna blesses the king, the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He uh, walks up to the temple and just... Looks around. He looks around. Because what does the temple represent to Jesus? This is the house of God. This is the house of God. And I know it went through a couple of destructions and rebuildings, but it's on the same spot where Solomon built it, that the plans that David had made, and that this is the dwelling place of God. And he was able to go up and Take a look around and see what was happening before he left to go back out to spend the night. Now, did he go to spend the night because he was scared? I don't know. His time had not yet come. It was still a few days away. And so maybe that was the case. He still had other things to accomplish. I think it was just he had a place to stay in Bethany. And so they packed up and went back out to Bethany. Well, on the following day, after they had woken up, um, they started heading toward Jerusalem again. They came from Bethany. He was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, theologians really have a difficult time with this passage because this is really out of the character of Jesus. Why would you curse a fig tree that wasn't supposed to be having figs on it anyway? Right? That doesn't seem very nice. (laughs) He came up to a fig tree that was leaving. Um, he thought, well, maybe there'll be some figs there. He walks up to it. It's got nothing. You know what? Cursed you. Why are you cursing that? It wasn't even supposed to have it. This isn't the season for figs. How come? Why is that in there? And they, they really struggle with this. And so this is Andy Bratton Commentary 101. All right. First imaginations here. But this is what I think is happening is it's really not about the fig tree. Jesus is heading into Jerusalem where he is going to come face to face with the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Israel people, the Israelites. He's going to come face to face with Israelites who were God's chosen people who were supposed to be following him and bearing good fruit by loving God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength and loving their neighbor as themselves. That's in the Old Testament as well as what Jesus said. They've not been following him. They've turned away and are worshiping other idols. They're worshiping other things. And he's heading into town to face them. And he wants to go in and find fruit in their lives. But instead, he's going to find nothing. And he's casting judgment on those that even though the signs have been all around them, they're choosing to ignore that the Messiah has come. They're choosing to ignore that God is fulfilling his commitment, his covenant, his promise by sending the Messiah, the chosen one to them. And he's casting judgment on them by doing it through the fig tree. He walks up to this fig tree and 
How dare that fig tree with the touch of Jesus hand or the power of God not produce what it's supposed to be producing. And it's the same with these so-called leaders of the Israelite people that have started to raise themselves up as God, as opposed to looking to the creator God as their God. All right. So we move on. Chapter uh, verse 15. They came to Jerusalem. All right. So he entered after the fig tree uh, incident. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. As he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations? So Jesus goes all ultimate fighter on him, right? He walks up to the temple and as you imagine, he's walking up the stairs and he starts to smell the smell of animals. How many of you own animals? How many of you know how animals smell? How many of you are oblivious that your house smells like an animal? All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I used to, I mentioned before I sold bookstore to door and one time I was out in this little country town and man, there was a pig farm coming up and you could tell from about five miles away, right? You get a bunch of those things in one place and they stink, right? Are you with me or is it just me? All right. Just making sure you're not living around it too long. And you're oblivious to it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It just smells. Right. And so Jesus is coming up and how many of you have had uh, birds just park around your car and just, you know, do their thing all over your car and stuff. And you're like. Really, I just had a car wash yesterday. You know, I got to wash it again. Um, and so Jesus is coming up. He's hearing this noise of these animals. He's smelling the smell that comes with having all these animals. Folks, this is the Passover. Hundreds of thousands of people are coming up to the temple, are coming into Jerusalem. This is elbow to elbow people. And in uh, the Old Testament, they're given permission to be able to buy a sacrifice if they can't come that long with a sacrifice. So we know that there are going to be animals somewhere to be sold to people to offer for sacrifices. But Jesus is coming up to the temple, not just a stockyard somewhere with animals, but he's actually coming up to the temple, the dwelling place of God. And he's smelling this stench and he's listening to this flapping around of birds and the noise of them and the noise of the animals. And it's just more than he can take. He walks up to it and starts turning over these money tables. He starts turning over the seats and he's just yelling at them, screaming at them, shouting at them, letting them know that they are desecrating the house of God. And this is not just a little polite Jesus always kind of, you know, guys would really be all things here. That'd be bad. No, Jesus is angry. He's angry. He said, listen, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And I said back in Isaiah, it's been said back in Isaiah was prophesied that this will be a place of prayer for all nations. And so these guys had set up in the Gentiles court of the temple, the Gentiles court where people that were not Jewish people were allowed to go up and be able to worship people that needed to be reached for God, people that didn't have a relationship with him, that weren't his people, could still come up and understand, find out who this God is and be able to pray. But they turned it into a place where they were selling animals. They turned it into a place where you could exchange your currency for currency that would work for animals. And you know that they weren't just saying, OK, well, it cost us two bucks. So here, give me two bucks. Well, it cost me two bucks. And you came a long way and you're kind of stuck without me and you want your sins forgiven, don't you? That'll be twenty four ninety nine. Right. This was taking place in the temple of God. 
where these people, the Sanhedrin, knew about it. And really, Jesus is confronting the high priest because he has to give authorization and saying, this is not what the temple of God was to be made for, to make a profit and to turn God's nose against his own house. And so we see in the second part of this part of the exit strategy that not only is the king welcome, but we see the king cleansing. The king cleanses when he comes into Jerusalem. He goes in, he not only is going to confront these people that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing as far as leading the people of Israel, but he's going to actually cleanse them. He's going to cleanse the temple of God so that it can once again be what it was set out to be. And that is a place where people could come to pray and offer sacrifices to God and to draw in closer in relationship with him. The reason that it was built to be the house, the dwelling place of God. So we see that Jesus, as the king, is welcomed, but we also see that the king is cleansed. And the next thing we see in that passage and the, uh, the interaction that he had with those there, he says, my house, he says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? My house And so what we see in this verse, this little word, my, is that Jesus, the king, is establishing lordship. He's establishing his lordship in Jerusalem and in the temple as well. He didn't say, is it not written that God's, the father's, not mine, I have nothing to do with him, I'm just a prophet. No, Jesus declares, my house, I and God are one. I am the Messiah, I am the anointed one that has come. And in declaring that, is it not written, my house, and Jesus using it from his perspective is saying, this is my house. I am the Messiah. I am the one that has come to not just come in as the king and not just to cleanse the temple, but declare that I am Lord. And we see that Jesus establishes his lordship. The king has established his lordship in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. The last thing that we see in this verse is that the king is feared and the king is worshipped. The leaders of the law, the leaders of the Jewish people, they wanted to take Jesus at that point and destroy him if they could. But they didn't. Why? Because they feared him. Why did they fear him? Because all these people were worshiping him. They were astonished at his teaching. They were lifting him up. It's like if we go to the ball game and we see a great play and we're cheering and screaming. And yeah, we can't believe. Wow, that was an amazing catch. These same people were just blown away at how amazingly smart and knowledgeable that Jesus was, that he'd be able to teach in a way they'd never heard before. They were astonished by what they saw and what they heard. They were worshiping Jesus. And when the king comes into the temple and cleanses the temple, the king is feared and worshipped. He is feared by his enemies because he sees the impact that he's having on those that are listening and taking it in. Not like these fig trees that weren't bearing any fruit, but instead they were like newborn fig trees that are planted and watered and are going to grow up and bear good fruit. They are worshipping Jesus because they are astonished by who he is and what he's teaching them. See, the second part of the exit strategy is that Jesus had to enter as the king in Jerusalem. We needed to see the the entrance of the king into Jerusalem. He couldn't die on the cross if he didn't go to Jerusalem. 
He couldn't die on the cross if he before people were able to be exposed to the light and know what the light was. And then to understand that the king has come to Jerusalem, that Jesus is that king in establishing lordship. And so in coming, we see that he's welcomed by his disciples. He's welcomed by those that believe in who he is. We see that he cleansed the temple to say, listen, before I go, this temple needs to be set up and established that you all know where God stands and where God stands is that this is to be a house of prayer, a place where people come to draw in relationship with Jesus, to worship the God, to worship the creator God, to bring their sacrifices to him, to give to the poor, all these aspects of worship. That's what this is for. It's not about you making money, selling animals and stinking the place up. And he establishes his lordship by saying, and it's not just any temple. This is not just any building. It's my house. It's my house. And as Jesus establishes that, we're fearful. His enemies are. But those that love him are praising him and worshiping him. And the exit strategy won't work until he comes in as king to establish that he is God, that he is Lord. If we take a step farther back from this. And we look at last week and we say, you know, before you can become a Christian, there needs to be a light come on. There needs to be a light, be it listening to someone speak to you or sharing with you or a song or just inspiration from God through his Holy Spirit. Come on you that there needs to be this light that comes on to be able to see that I'm in a dark place and I need to be in a light place and that Jesus is that light. And the second part of the exit strategy of sin from our life is that we need to welcome Jesus in. And as we welcome Jesus in, He cleanses us. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus comes into our life. He comes into this temple that He's established in our lives and He cleanses it. Remember earlier in Mark, if your eye causes you to stumble, do what? Gouge it out. Tear it out. If your arm causes you to stumble, cut it off. Your leg, cut it off. And Jesus comes into our life, into this temple that he's establishing in our life as we receive him and he's cleansing us. And we go through this process of cleansing Andy Bratton from all the different temptations that come his way to say, you know what, Andy, this is how we need to cleanse this from your body. And he starts to turn over the money changing tables in my heart so that I might be able to see better how to serve and worship him and to cleanse myself from all this unrighteousness that wants me to pull away from him. And in doing so, he establishes his lordship. And he says, Andy, are you going to surrender to me totally? Am I Lord of your life? Is this my temple? Did I create you to worship me or create you to worship you? And we see that Jesus in establishing his lordship and saying, Andy, this you are mine. I've created you. I've created you to do the good works that I've prepared for you to do. I have a couple of choices. I can be his enemy and resist and live in this awful, terrifying fear of who God is. Or I can worship him. I can worship him. See, worship is not about whether or not I lift up my hands. Worship is whether Jesus is so welling up in my heart that the fruit that comes from my heart can be nothing but worship and glorifying and adoration and admiration for who God is and what he did through Jesus on the cross. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms. And in the NIV, it says, praise the Lord, O my soul. 
And let all that is within me praise his holy name. I had a friend describe it like this. He said, it's like it starts in your big toe and your big toe says, praise the Lord, pass it on. And it goes to the next toe. Praise the Lord, pass it on. It gets a little piggy. Praise the Lord, pass it on. And it starts to move up your leg. Pass, pass it on. Praise the Lord. Pass it on. It gets to your knees. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It gets to your gluteus maximus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It starts to move in your stomach. And some people have skinny stomachs. And praise the Lord. And others of us have big ones. Praise the Lord. And it moves up into our, our shoulders and our arms and our heads and our nose and our ears. Some have big. Some have little. Some have big floppy ones. Some have gray ones. Some have no hair. Some have gray hair. And it goes from the tip of our toes to the top of our head. And we can't help but containing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let all that is within me praise His holy name. Because sin has exited my life. Why? Because I welcome Jesus in. He cleansed me from all unrighteousness. He declared that He is Lord of Andy Bratton's life. And I have said yes to that. And in honor of that, and in respect of that, I worship Him. With my hands held high, unapologetically, screaming at the top of my lungs if necessary, Jesus is Lord. Let's pray as the worship team comes. Thank you, Father God, for your word. Thank you for these bodies that you've given us to be able to worship you, Lord. Father, forgive us when there are times when we come into this gathering or even when we just wake up in our own home or at our work and the last thing on our mind is to worship You and to glorify You with who, because of who You are and what You've done. And Father, may this be a time, this next five minutes as we sing praises to You, may it just be a time where we just well up in our soul who You are, what You've done for our lives, what You've done in our lives, that we may worship You freely and glorify You and honor You because You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And your grace has covered all of our sins and has pardoned us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.